Yo, man. Boom, is Rusty. What's up, everyone? It is Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday on the p- podcast. Now the p- 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 podcast because we're in Pennsylvania, PA. Uh, yeah, thank you everyone for being here and listening and checking it out. If you're listening, you can go check it out on YouTube and Rumble. And if you're watching on YouTube or something, you see my face and you're like, fuck, I don't want to look at this guy. You can go listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. So on that note, it's time for me to bring on my special guest. And my special guest, I don't know if has been on this show been on the thinking man's pro wrestling podcast but maybe he was on the show long ago but i don't know if he's been on for a while so i'm gonna bring on my special guest right here right now and my special guest right here right now is derek drexel uh there he is greetings Uh, and salivations how you doing rusty man i'm doing pretty darn uh okay right now how about yourself uh, not bad. Busy, busy, busy. But, uh, you know, what's the devil to do? Right. Yeah, man. Uh, the uh, what is it? The idle hands are the, the devil's. Uh, I Honestly, sometimes. if I'm not busy, then I start thinking. And then when you start thinking, you have to start dealing with, you know, past childhood traumas and stuff like that. And that just that seems like way too much effort. So it's just way better to stay busy with all my businesses and everything that I do in my life. So, yeah, I just stay busy. And maybe one day I'll slow down and deal with all those demons that are banging and uh, making all the noise and yelling things in my ears. But, you know, I keep them at bay. <laughs> yeah, just need to do one, really. What one's all you need and you'll be good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so what's, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Because, like, okay, so to your graphics, man, I'm seeing your posters all all over man and then i'm i'm also seeing a lot of posters that are are shitty and i'm like you know what those aren't derek's posters like uh i I assume you're too busy for me to be like hey man your posters suck i should go and pass you off to derek but um no i mean you could and i can pick up more work it's just a lot of companies don't put in the money or they have a friend who knows knows Photoshop or knows whatever. And it's all about getting a better deal. Like I, I don't even charge that much. My difference is that I charge by the, by the hour. So I tell my clients right up front, look, if you've got an idea of what you want and we can nail this down, it's going to be pretty quick. But if you're one of those people that just keeps changing things and, oh, here, can you add this person? Oh, add this person. And now we've got 32 wrestlers on the front of the poster and he's changed the uh, the theme three times. And then he wonders why the bill is like $250 for this poster. And I'm like, well, <laughs> we didn't have it nailed down. And I tried to tell you, like, a poster looks best. Like, keep it under. I always try to te- tell people, keep it around six, seven people tops. You don't need anything more than that. Like, who are your features? people that are going to be selling your tickets it annoys the hell out of me when guys are like yeah can you put all these people i'm like are they really gonna sell tickets 
even kills me more when they're like, here's the referee. And of course, because I'm the promoter, I'm going to put myself on the poster too. And I was like, because I know you're selling tickets because everyone wants to know about the promoter and put him up on the uh, the middle of the uh, the poster for a wrestling show. So with one know. of these or something. Yeah, I, uh, I, for the most part, most of my clients I get along with. Um, some are a little bit more challenging than others. Like I, I do most of the posters for Hood Slam, and I love Dark Sheik. Uh, uh, me and her have been friends for a decade and a half at least now. But some of her poster ideas are absolutely insane. She comes to me with like fever dreams and has me turn them into artwork and. Sometimes we can pull it off. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes like, hey, can you do that? I was like, hey, can you provide pictures of something remotely? The person doing something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, she'll be like, isn't there an app? And I'm like, no, there is no app just to make people doing these random things. I'm not I'm not getting into AI. But um, at the same time, some of the Hood Slam posters I've done are some of my absolute favorite. Uh, Like, uh um uh Mansoor is just recently returned to Hood Slam and one of their newest posters I did is the operation game, but instead it's Mansoor on the thing with a bunch of little spots in him to dig out stuff. It's completely ridiculous, but that came from Sheik's imagination and then somehow I made it happen. And it's one of those that's just like, this is awesome. For yeah. for everyone of awesome one like that, then I also get the guy that wants 55 wrestlers on there and every referee so you know (laughs) yeah and i mean i was just talking yesterday about uh if there's something that someone else can do better than like being able to collaborate with someone and have that happen is way better than you like or uh like yeah like chic I do it all the time with my own, uh, my own merchandise. People ask, they're like, you design your stuff. I'm like, I design most of it, but I'm not a great animator. So I have a few animators that I go to and I'll be like, Hey, can you draw up my face cartoon style to look like one of the ones, uh, El Binko, uh, located down in, uh, Eugene, Oregon. That's done a few of my pieces and stuff. Uh, he came up to me after, at a show after I had a whole bunch of, uh, um, <laughs> thumbtacks stuck in the top of my head from a bat. And he goes, you need a shirt as like pinhead. And I was like, well, draw that shit up. So he drew my face up as pinhead. And that's actually my newest shirt and poster and stuff. It says Whoa. pain, uh, pain and pleasure, uh, indivisible or, and then it's got me as pinhead and stuff like that. And uses the Hellraiser font with Drexel, the homicidal artist. But I always work with different artists. I, if someone is better at something, I am all about co- collaborating with them and stuff like that. And I mean, I feel yeah. the same thing with wrestling. My best matches are collaborations with other people. I uh, just wrestled Effie and Alley Catch uh, a couple weeks ago. It was me and Funny Bone versus the two of them. And for the most part, I think the match we, me and Effie had before that, we called 75 to 90% in the ring. And we just went out there and worked and had a blast. And I don't get to do that very much. But those are some of my favorite matches where it's just two guys out there in the heat of the moment and just working with each other. And we did a bunch of that this uh, <laughs> this last show where the entire shine of the match, what we had was... All right, uh, Effie, I'll try to kiss you. Uh, you don't want to kiss me. Eventually, you get tired of my shit. Uh, you tag in Allie. Allie, everyone thinks you're safe. I'm going to be like, no, I'm cool both ways. I'm going to try to kiss Allie, too. We run some shit. 
uh, then you guys do your double team. I eat both your asses. And then Funny Bone gets pissed off, comes inside and hits the referee with a chair. That was the shine that we called. And then we went out there and worked for the next five minutes. And it was absolutely amazing and so much fun. And when people ask me about my wrestling matches and what, like the fact that I've always got a different story that I tell every single match, like I can do some of my same bullshit, like my paper cuts and, and staples and whatever. But I wrestling is an art. Everything I do is an art. When I, I like people come up to my merch table and they're like homicidal artist. I said, it's not just like a silly moniker. I am truly a homicidal artist. This, this is my life. I've, I've finally at, 48 going on 49 years of my life i finally got it to the point where art totally rules my world and pays my bills and does everything for me is through some kind of art and it makes me very happy i don't know how much longer i get to do it but for the moment i'm taking full advantage that art is fully paying all my bills art rules everything around me uh yeah, yeah. uh fuck dude that's that's awesome um where did you uh, do that match? Where was that? Uh, that was for Relentless up in Spokane, Washington. Um, okay. A company ran by Chase James up there that I think they started about. Oh, two, yeah. Yeah. About two years ago, they started. And like Spokane has never had a good wrestling scene. And the companies like I remember Prestige went up there a couple times. We had decent crowds, but there was nothing, anything consistent. And Chase basically took some of the better guys from Pacific Northwest. And then he also has at least four or five guys that are flowing in. So he brings in a lot of bigger names and stuff like that up there. So he's giving people in an area that never get to see that kind of talent. He gets to bring them in like Warhorse was a champion for him. Um, oh, currently, yeah. uh, Tom Lawler is their, their main champion. Uh, Keita comes in all the time from California and he's always just switching through. He's had speedball, Mike Bailey. Um, he's had TJP. It's just a variety of all different acts and stuff. Uh, the next show I'm wrestling, uh, Tyler Bateman, which I'm super stoked for. I've cool. worked Bateman one other time years ago. And we're good friends. He's one of those guys that if he comes and works for me at DOA, he's like, no, nah, you don't got to get me a hotel. I'll just crash at your place. And I'm like, we like to hang out and shit. And so it's going to be a blast. And we're literally going to beat the shit out of each other because that's what you do with your friends. Always my stiffest matches are with my friends. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point there. Um, is, is that still the same place? Is it that uh, the bar there or brewery place? Um, no, they actually switched over to uh, what is it called? It's a like a bowling alley entertainment center players, player sports. And they've got, oh, okay, one of those. They got everything. But I, I can't really go into details, but there's a even bigger venue with that are interested. And I think they've worked out the deal. I haven't talked to them since this last show. All I know is the last show, because of uh, most violent versus bussy uh, match, there was a bunch of notes on the card that said, please keep this PG-13. We have scouts for this and this here. We don't want to offend them. And, and I walked up to Chase and I'm like, I feel very, very pointed out on this. And he started laughing. He goes, well, I was like, I mean, granted, last time me and Effie wrestled, the entire match involved our penises. And Effie ran around with the back of his, uh, his ass exposed for at least two to three minutes during the match. So, yeah, I guess we did push a few boundaries. But when you start, like, telling us what we can do now, you know, 
we're just rebels at heart. <laughs> but right, I, I don't, I don't think we screwed it up. I think we towed a nice line in this match that was just enough that the adults got it, the kids laughed, but didn't quite get the uh, innuendos, and uh, and no one was uh, offended by our, our debauchery out in the ring. So <laughs> that's fucking all right, then, man. Then yeah, you get that uh, line, and you. That Somewhere cat just around cl- there. climbed up the wall and it just totally freaked me out. <laughs> uh, there, what cat? Uh, there, there, I don't know. There's a cat right over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, shit. Yeah, dude. It's uh, it's fucking wild. Uh, I- I've been watching him, uh, Effie. Like I didn't really know who he was, but I, I catch his stuff and uh, it's pretty entertaining. And like his podcast thing pops up on my TikTok and. It's yeah, he's he's got some good points of views uh, and stuff he, that I've he does agreed good with. for the business, and he's told he's very much an underground rebel that's never going to sign with one of the major companies, even though there's been there's been interest over the years. How can there not when he's got that kind of pull and that kind of uh uh like uh, following online and stuff? Yeah, but it, he knows that whatever version a company would want, they'd want to water up down and that's not him. And he's built his cool. brand up now that his brand pays his bills. And even after, you know, dealing with the court shit he had to deal with, cause he got popped for a, an edible sitting on his front seat in uh, Georgia and got 20 years probation. He has to piss test for 20 years because he had an edible sitting on his front seat in the state of Georgia. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Does he I, live there? Yes, he lives in Georgia. And they, they decided to uh they were gonna railroad the uh the the gay pro wrestler. And jokes on them is uh he has to go see his probation officer. Um and part of the deal was he would take piss test and stay completely clean. Um, so that he can still travel so that they couldn't restrict because I mean, that's, he travels around the world constantly. So now he has to go see his probation officer, give them this calendar that is at least three to four dates a a week. He's somewhere else has to give them this huge calendar that they have to do all this paperwork on and then make him take his P test, which they're always hoping he's going to pee dirty, but he doesn't because he's not that stupid. And he's like, Nope. And if you look at Effie pre-court case to post-court case, Effie spends a lot more time in the gym now, and he's probably like 225. He's looking the best he ever had. I know in the ring, he had no stop in the ring this last time. There was the guys on top of his game, no matter what has been shoveled out in front of him. He's like, yep, I'll fucking eat it and fucking turn it into a fucking casserole bitches. So, right. Yeah. I, I love Effie. I, I love that what he does for the business and, uh, and just as someone to work with, I absolutely love working with him. Anyone I know right now, we really want to book at some point Thrussy, which is uh, Effie, Allie and dark chic versus undead violence, which is me, funny bone and Sue young. We, we think any company that's willing to book the six of us in the ring is just, this is just, it just prints money. I mean, the, our six personalities out there would be absolutely amazing for a match. Um, putting it yeah. out in the world right now. Hopefully someone hears it. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to bring them all in and do this. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, like, when you're out on the road, are you, uh, I mean, 
you got you got the devil driving around and stuff like when you're going like up to spokane are you doing like going out in the gorge and going up through like uh the tri-cities and up are you doing like that whole fucking yep. drive man yep yeah sure am. I mean, they, they've offered up to fly me up there i hate flying um just because you end up adding a minimum of two hours before the trip of sitting at an airport then once you get to the airport now you're relying on other people to get and pick you up so it could be anywhere from like 15, 20 minutes. It could be an hour and a half or two hours. I've had both as a pro wrestler. So any spot that I can drive to pretty much anything under the eight, nine hour uh, driving limit or so. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll just drive to, I recently did uh thrash wrestling up in Canada uh, for their, their death match weekend and stuff. And they're, That's like they're going to fly hours. Out. I think so. I think the first, uh, first spot was like nine and a half, um, to get there. And, uh, they were like, we'll fly you up. And I was like, honestly, I'd rather just drive at least then I can hit my vape all the way until I get to the border, toss it out, cross over the border buy another vape, got that for the rest of my trip. So it keeps the aches and pains off. I can do my shows, hook me up in the hotel. And then Actually, that one, um, getting into Canada, not a problem. Getting back into the States, um, because I never take those small, little, tiny borders. Oh, yeah. I I got the full riot act uh, coming back into the States, heading to another show in the Tri-Cities on that Sunday. So I did Friday and Saturday up in Canada. Coming back, as soon as I pull in, and uh, they're like, yeah, we're going to go take a look. And the guy brings out a mirror and starts hitting all my side panels on my car. I'm like, oh, I know I'm in for it. So they dug through my entire car, including like the, the cup holder. They pulled all the change out of the cup holder to make sure that there was nothing hidden underneath Whoa. the chain. And in this process, they find a little uh, gummy that's in a clear plastic uh, contain, uh plastic wrapper. It's just one green gummy in a plastic oh, wrapper and they come in they're like what is this and i say i don't know and they're like it was in your vehicle and i was like a lot of people are in my vehicle i have no idea and this thing is like there's dirt on the pl on the plastic so this has been either in the bottom of my bag or bottom of the car underneath the seat for a while and they're like well we're testing it and i was like you are shitting me all right so I end up sitting there for another 15, 20 minutes as they test this one little tiny gummy. And then they come back and they're like, test results are back. And I'm like, and, and they're like, it's nothing. And I'm like, Wait, okay. You just had like, a fucking random gummy bear in a bag. Yeah. I, I have so many wrestlers in the car. It, it, yeah. it, my guess, it might have been like a CBD one. Maybe someone had or, or something. It, it was yeah. like, it was just. Or they had a big bag of fucking gummies, like the family things from Halloween, and like yeah. one of them was in there. I have lots of wrestlers in my car every weekend. And they're like, here, do you want it back? I'm like, no, I don't want it back. I didn't even know what the shit was in the first place. I don't want the dirty gummy back now that you've tested it. And yeah. yeah. And then as I'm walking out, the the guy who's spent a good 45 minutes searching everything on my in. I thought for sure I was going to get fingers up the butt coming, like making sure that right. I wasn't. And he's like, only a hand. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's like, well, hold up. Cause the guy inside's released me. They've given me back my passport and everything. He's like, well, hold up. I don't quite understand the story you have. And I was like, I do pro wrestling. You went through my bag. 
like normal people don't have the equipment that I like my my gear and like I have random bone things and like and then he started on the bone things he goes are you sure you didn't buy those in Canada and I was like no I made my bone weapons you want me to open up uh, my Facebook and show you pictures of me holding them from years ago when I first met them or first made that and it was just it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever I felt truly violated and i haven't been back to canada since i uh actually my passport just uh just lapsed and i know wrestlecore wants me back up there and i want to go wrestle for cobra kai i love his company and i love that i would be taking the main borders but i i don't think i will ever cross into canada through a small border ever again after dealing with that shit it was the most ridiculous thing ever coming into canada they pulled me inside and they're like so what do you do pro wrestler and the guy goes so if i look you up will i find anything i said you sure will and he looks up drexel and he looks up at me and he goes holy shit you do some crazy stuff and i said yes i do cool will you go have fun and i said thank you so once again canada being way way fucking nicer than america for no apparent reason <laughs> yeah and i swear like of everyone that i'd go to canada with you were the person I would least likely get pulled in uh, to get, you know, get searched or whatever yeah. is going on. Like you, for some reason you uh, would, they're just like, no, fuck it. This guy, he's good, man. Let's just, I mean, part of it through. is because there was that span for uh, up until COVID. I was up in Canada every single month, one, once or twice a month for a good three four years i was up there every single month so i started to get to know all the border people too a lot of them just recognized me or um when i did i was flagged and they were supposed to be mandatory that i i got pulled inside they would pull me inside and they go oh hey so what you doing tonight anything crazy and i'd be like oh no and some would go out and do the open the door, look around the car and then come back. And then other ones were like, ah, here, here's key. You can just go. And I was like, thank you very much. So Shit, yeah, all right. it, it's, I don't know. It's so crazy. Um, people always, I, I'm like, people always ask me about it. I was like, I just don't carry anything. Like I just, I make sure that I can't get popped with anything crossing the border. And so even though it's legal on both sides of the border, yeah. I just make sure that it's thrown away before I ever cross the border and in my car doesn't smell like weed or something like that. So it, you ever find a place to leave it? Have you ever had like half a cartridge left and you're yep. like, actually I did. There is a certain gas station that I had that I used to have set up and I had a little uh, zippy uh, Ziploc bag or like a zipper bag that had a little lock on it. Yeah. And it was uh, waterproof. It was a stash bag. And it was waterproof and everything. And I would take it and I would toss it in the bushes at this gas station on my way up. And on my way back, I would pick it back up because there was nothing open by the time we crossed back over the border. Or, you know, I would throw it away and just buy something new. And so, but yeah, I did that. I was at least two years. I had that, that going where, and it just happened to be the same gas station that exchanged our money and had food there. It was like, it was a stop all. And they had just this row of bushes over to the side. No one messed with. I just shove it inside the bushes somewhere. People don't notice it. And it was a green bag too. So it worked out great. Yeah. And I mean, then with that, like six hour drive or whatever, after that, or, you know, five, six hours, middle of the night, not fucking being able to, 
have a vape on you and you can't get into the store until nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. And you're like, exactly. And my body shit. just tightening up after matches. Cause it's not like, yeah. as most of the kids in the car with me are all in their mid twenties, you know, I'm 48 right. going on 49. When me and funny bone travel the roads, like it's gotta be a sight. When we pull into a gas station, the look of the two of us trying to get out of the car and de- then doing this weird limping thing that goes on for anywhere from about five to 10 feet till we slowly start stretching out. By the time we get in the venue, there's just a, or in the, the building, just a slight limp. And then like, by the time we're walking back to the car, we look almost normal. And then it's going to be a horrible in about two more hours when we stop and bone needs to, uh, get three more fucking red bulls and uh and someone else has to pee so yeah and i mean the uh the fucking things are just like trying to get because uh, you you have a a higher up car you, you uh, now i've got a subaru cross truck which is not that much higher up it, it's pretty okay low. But it's amazing for gas mileage. It's amazing in the ice and everything else. And I, I will be a, uh, I'm sure if I speak Subaru back in Detroit, people will fucking get mad at me and shit when I, I head back home. But honestly, it is probably the best vehicle I've ever had for handling and everything else. And it's newer. So it's got all the bells and whistles. It's got heated seats. I, I don't oh, think shit. I can live without heated seats anymore because that yep. saves my lower back and my hips so much. When I get done with a show, I sit down and I can just, I've turned that thing on high and it just cranks the heat and it keeps them loose where before like yep. that was, now it's just my knees and my ankles that hurt so bad when I get out of the car and my lower back and my hips aren't too bad because of that. So. I could get it so you just completely strap into the seat and had like my knees, my ankles, and everything. It could go between heat and cold. Driving be golden, but yeah, I don't know. DDP hasn't invented that yet. I'm sure he will one day. <laughs> I think it would be a great idea. I I went and bought one of those things for my seat. Like I I, I have the fucking fake uh yeah. you know, over over the seat heated seat that i plug into the cigarette lighter but i don't know if cars have cigarette lighters anymore they don't they do. well actually they do ha- they don't have the lighter part they just have a plug that you can use for uh an adapter okay yeah because yeah I, I don't know i don't know when they stopped putting cigarette lighters in there who has some from like the last versions of them I'm but, thinking the '90s, sometimes maybe. Like I, I know the the lighter plug stayed there. They just changed out the mechanism so it didn't have, it didn't, uh, you couldn't do the coil thing anymore with the uh, the little fucking lighter part. Yeah, I still remember that as a child all the time. I remember burning myself with that stupid thing because you had to. Yeah, exactly. You, to see if it really to. worked. I'm, yeah. Oh man, you, you push it in, and it heats up, and like the the coil starts like getting it bright pop, and it, it pops early and you look at it and you're like well that's not orange and then you touch it but it is hot yep. yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah i had one i got a fucking shitty uh like non-original one like uh one at a auto parts store and for some reason i don't know how this worked but it didn't quite fit in the the thing so after it was done, it would literally pop out. And so I had to like put my hand on it. So then it like pops out just enough. So otherwise, cause then it would just pop out and like land down on the fucking yeah, floorboards and, and shit. Yeah. And you can't stop, drop and roll while you're driving. So, you know, right. Yeah. I'm trying to fucking oh, light a cigarette. And, um, yeah, man. I think that was, uh, that's something I 
remember, man. Like, uh, so well, okay. It's way easier plugging in a vape into a USB now. I don't know. <laughs> it's fucking unreal, man. Like these vapes. Like I'm, I'm just blown away every fucking time I'm, I'm trying these things. Like it's just and. I mean, not having to worry about a smell is one thing. Like, bingo, that's another big one, right like, there. The kids have these kids today have no fucking clue, like, how hard it was to smoke in a car and <laughs> not have it be like a fucking wherever you, know, you go, everyone stops and just stares at you because you just reek of it. Because if you're in a car, it just sticks to you everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, anytime you went anywhere, you're like, oh, they just smoked some pot. They just walked by me. I could totally smell it. And now you have no right. clue. Stoner, not stoner. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> Here they are with their little fucking thing right there. And uh, I, fucking honestly, that's probably why the government's just finally fucking giving up on it because they're like, I don't know. We can't tell anymore. It's not as easy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We, keep bu- we keep busting these guys with dreadlocks and they're just vegan. They're complete straight edge vegan. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, I keep keep thinking they're going to be fucking stocked, but there's there's nothing. And I, like you can be in a fucking grocery store walking down a fucking aisle, take a little fucking rip off your pen and Whatever, it's fucking fine, dude. I, like, I, I can fully admit that when I go to the movie theater, I go to the expensive theater with the reclining seats where you have the extra room, and I have my vape, and I sit there, and what do you do? You just hold it longer so you don't blow out a bunch of smoke. Don't be fucking rude, but you just yeah. hold it a little bit longer. Uh, me and Effie had this guy. It was me, Effie, and someone else having a conversation. Oh, Sonico, about being in airplanes in the airport and stuff like that. I was like, I went in the airplane. I said, oh, but for fuck's sake, I go in the airport bathroom. Oh, yeah, I'm just fucking hitting away and not a single person knows. I, as far as I know, I am just sitting there pooping and leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. So what what's the trick? Because this is something like when I'm at the airport and, uh, you know, it's like, hey, just go fucking hit the pan in the bathroom. Like, I can't fucking I, I don't have the ability yet to be able to hold it in and blow it out slowly because I'm still getting used to the vape thing. Uh, small hits, small hits, That's small hits. Truth. So like, yeah, just. I can hold this small hit for forever. And by the time I blow out, I'm barely going to have any smoke. Like I'll blow out early. Yeah. You can barely yeah. see it. You just do a bunch of smaller hits. And uh, at most you might slightly be able to smell a slight bit. If you have a really strong nose, but yeah. that could be someone's cologne because it's not like it reeks like a fucking skunk or anything like that back in the day. Well, yeah, and now they have the ones that fucking, uh, especially in Oregon, the Oregon has fucking amazing ones. Um, like uh, here, they're a little better, but like in, uh, in Saint, I think it was either Utah or Connecticut, um, you couldn't have anything. Everything had to taste like weed. You couldn't have any like flavoring and shit. I'm actually uh, I'm all for that. I never buy anything with added flavoring. I want the uh, I want the natural terpenes of it. And stuff yeah. Like that. I mean, Oregon's good with it because it's not like they're just adding fucking some random uh, uh, chemical fucking tasting to it. They're adding actual terpenes and whatever to get a taste. But I'm still a fan of real weed. That's why, like, I almost everyone I know is like, well, I just dab, and I'm I'm like. I will if someone else has it. I have a dab rig and I have a 
container of some wax that I've probably had now for three months because I barely ever do it unless I'm out of flour. I'm just, yeah. I've grown up. I'm an old fucking old man. I grew up smoking flour. I like the taste of flour. So when I'm right. in my home, that's that's what I I partake in flour and use the vape pens when I'm on the road because it's just way easier and way more convenient and it doesn't stink. So, and I can do it in the car and yeah, you never have to worry about shit. Yeah, that's the best for those fucking, uh, yeah, you're not having to bring that shit in the car, man. Just having a little fucking pan and like, it's easy to fucking put away and like, it's. I remember cars that I had that just forever stunk of weed because of road trips and between weed and cigarettes is all you smelled when you got in the car at all times. And it's nice to not have to worry about that. Like, I don't even have to change the, uh, the, the air, uh, air things uh at all because the car just doesn't stink at, at worst if i left a food fast food bag in there overnight then i smell that for a minute until i get it tossed out but besides that like it's not like it was back in the day yeah and it's not like yeah you smoke smoke a cigarette oh it's just gonna smell like cigarettes now uh the weed smell will go away with the cigarette and that never yeah. really worked no we just try to mask them back and forth and yeah right it, just, it didn't work <laughs> yeah um so like okay so if if you're not not doing the canada right now i mean you're you're going around you're getting your 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 miles in i'm staying way busier than i ever thought i would be because the last couple years i've stopped reaching out to companies like i'm not really looking to pick up bookings um all my bookings are what's coming into me and pacific northwest is doing so well right now that I get occasional bookings that are out of the area that'll fly me out and stuff. That's another thing is where a lot of people fly themselves into bookings now and stuff like that. I'm too old. It's just, it's not, I'm not about to do that. So my out of state bookings and vile flights, and I'm first to admit that starts getting expensive and shit. So, and I'm just busy all the time in Pacific Northwest. I work enough different areas, enough different companies and, and trying to help these companies grow with the, you know, helping their rosters and shit like that and helping them try to be a little bit more like DOA um, that, you know, we're going on 16 years now and drawing our biggest houses ever uh, for a company based around Pacific Northwest wrestlers. It's not about who DOA is bringing in that month. It's people are showing up every month for the stories and for our, we've built stars and that's the stars that these people have. So it's the first time that in the Pacific Northwest, I've seen that since when I first started and you still had the stars of the original Portland wrestling. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, 450 a fucking and yeah. a show in Portland is like, when was the last time there's been 450 people in a crowd in Portland? Um, minus when Defy or Prestige would load up a show with a bunch of fly-in talent. Um, Prestige has drawn, I think, close to a thousand at Roseland. That was the absolute holy mega, shit mega sellout. And I don't think they ever want to do that again because what people don't realize that like venues like the Roseland is the more people that walk through the door, the more money you have to pay the venue. <laughs> and so he had to pay the absolute max that you have to pay the venue. And it ends up working out better if he doesn't oversell it like that and can, and can get a better rate. If he keeps it, I think they've been averaging like seven, 800 for the Roseland shows, Holy shit. but that's a whole lot of fly-ins. That's a lot of big name talent and stuff like yeah. that. Um, 
DOA is now averaging four to 450 and ours is all local with maybe one or two outside talents coming in and stuff. So I'm, I'm really happy. I mean, as I tell the, the roster every single month, um, this is built by us. This is no one else. This is not about who we flew in and are we going to have another sellout or anything? This is completely built on them, them trusting me and, and telling stories and working characters. Um, uh, Gabe uh, Sapolsky from uh, WWE, who does the hiring of the extras and stuff. He was out at our January show. He was in town because so January, uh, like I think it was the second second weekend of January in Portland. We had Prestige Roseland was on Friday. Uh, DOA uh, uh, was on Saturday in Portland. And then Monday was going to be Raw. 15 years ago, we would have never even dared run the same weekend as a Raw, let alone to follow a Roseland show, which is going to draw, we knew would draw a minimum seven, 800, uh, seven, 800 people with the amount of the stars that they had on it. But that weekend, Gabe came out and, and came out to both shows. Uh, they drew the 750 or whatever. We drew 450, and Gabe was just dumbfounded that in the same city, back to back nights could draw like that off of indie wrestling. And me and Gabe don't always see eye to eye. And so this is right before the show as it's filling up. Then at intermission, he comes over and he goes, I'm amazed by your crowd. They respond to everything. It's not about the moves. I said, no, we're based on characters and, and creative. It's all about the stories and people are emotionally invested in our characters. He's like, that's amazing. And, and he was very, uh, I could tell he was very impressed a uh, company that he had no clue what was going on. And then he shows up to see something that most major companies would kill for because WWE bases around storytelling and where most indies are completely based around the moves and the craziness DOA has made it be about storytelling. And that's what, what attracts people. And we've had guys that do some crazy, insane moves and fans will respond to it, but it's not going to ha- have them get, them over like it would for a defy or something like that so it's just i don't know we've built this fan base and it's it's a really cool fan base of literally everyone um last year doa uh got recognized on uh in the mercury portland mercury uh for the best uh best scene it was the best scene of portland and it said that uh, uh portland wrestling was much better now and was all inclusive and it talked about the fact that we have women trans uh every color, like everyone is represented at DOA. And it's not like I, I go out and go, Oh, I need this person. I need this person. I use the best athletes around here. I don't give a shit who they are. And yeah, that, that was kind of my attitude with uh, once they switched over and girls just on the regular wrestling guys and stuff like that. I rebel Kell is our grand champion. Rebel Kell is six foot. And if you got kicked in the head by Rebel Kell, it's going to knock you the fuck out. Simple as that. It's not not that difficult. And what people don't know, she does study jujitsu and stuff. Like she is a legit badass. Like so, I, DOA has just always been about promoting the area, and that's what I've continued since I've taken over the uh, the book and and running things. So I've just gotten to highlight all sorts of different people, different athletes and, uh, and, and watching these new generation come up and the work ethic they have is absolutely just amazing. So I'm, I'm really excited about what we've got going on up here and just the whole Pacific Northwest as a whole. That's awesome. And do you run in like the, 
doing Saturday, Sunday shows like uh, yeah. Independence or is that every once in a while? Every other month we're doing the double shot. So currently what we got is one month we'll do Portland. The next month we'll do Portland and Independence on a Saturday, Sunday. And we just go back and forth. If we happen to pick up another show to do those other months. Great. If not, um, I, I know the owners of DOA would like to do more shows, but as long as I'm still wrestling, that does limit some of my time. And as I, I, I look through my calendar, I was like, I've got all these dates. I said, maybe we can discuss this after I'm, I, you know, hung up my boots in the ring. But right now I think DOA keeping what we're doing is, is great. Um, I'm not looking to overextend. I'm not looking to go to random cities that we have no connection to and then failing miserably. We did that 15 years ago. I've watched companies do that. You know, I, I run DOA based around what I've seen work and what I have seen haven't worked in the, like in the 19 years I've been in this business now. And I feel like we've got a really good model. That's uh that's paying off finally. Um, and uh, as we get everything locked down and, and my having a, <laughs> I've got a very overabundant roster and like every month I run, uh, run seminars with what, whoever the wrestler coming in, they'll run a seminar and stuff like that. So, cool. um, so last month it was Timothy Thatcher. This month it was Big Ugly. It's all different types of people, all different styles. Sue Young's done them. Um, Vincent, uh, like it, it's all over the place on what people teach and stuff like that. But it gives all these guys experiences where I told them when I started, we would maybe have one seminar a year up in the Pacific Northwest on average, maybe one or two. And now making that happen 12 months a year i just and all of them do really well like it's not like oh here's a couple kids that show up there's a minimum usually between 10 and 20 at every one of these seminars learning and getting better uh the big ugly one this week uh ugly was super impressed because everyone that was did the seminar is already working shows it's not like they were students these guys are already everyone was already working on shows and they all just wanted to train under ugly and learn from ugly and stuff so um, including like Randers, he's the main trainer for the Buddy Wayne Academy. He went and trained and and worked with Ugly. Why? Because it's different styles. And as Randers got done, he goes, "I haven't heard the old man, uh, the old vet rants in, in so long." He goes, "I just told all the other kids that's what it was like training with Buddy Wayne when he was alive." And uh, yeah, it, because it's just okay. different styles and different stuff like that. So I I love giving that opportunity for these uh, for these guys to learn all this and. You know, uh, when I had Serpentico do it, he talked about, you know, the the contacts you make when you do these seminars, because these are names that you might meet in another area that can put in a good word for you or something like that. Because being a wrestler, it's it, not easy. It's not easy. Like, yes, you have the Internet at your disposal for getting your stuff out there, but getting people to actually look at your stuff. Uh, to get a promoter to look at your stuff isn't easy. So I tell all these kids like networking, um, you want to work for a company, get to know some of the wrestlers on that company, get someone that can put you over to that promoter or that booker and have a, you know, Hey, this really good person. They're really good in the ring. Me as a promoter and as booker, that's what I look for because if I w- I don't have enough time in the day to respond to all the messages I get every single day between my personal uh, DOA and then the website and stuff like that, because we have a lot of people that want to work for us, but if I don't know you, you haven't built up your name enough that there's only so much I can do for you and stuff like that. So, 
most of the right. outside talent that comes into DOA, I've worked with someplace or they worked with other talent that, at DOA that I trust. And they're like, Hey, take a look at this kid or someone like that. So are you the one that's doing the emails and stuff for that? Uh, or do you, uh, is there somebody, I mean, is I, that... I'm, I'm the booker. I mean, I, um, Jaden is my assistant booker. He, uh, does the social media. He responds to messages and stuff like that. If someone reaches out to us that, uh, that he, he knows has a buzz or is really good, he'll send it over. Um, cool. but okay. yeah, I mean, we have a few of us taking a look at it and stuff like that, but literally it, it's so many messages every day. And then as of recently, uh, there's been a rash of the old vets that haven't wrestled in 10 years or more that, uh, started hitting me up going how they, you know, they want to come in, they want to do a couple shows for DOA. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you do. Like, and these are guys that never did a thing for me. Were never nice to me. Like, never helped me out when I was coming up, but of course they're reaching out, like looking for a booking and stuff like that. And I'm, yeah. And it, it just makes me, I, I laugh at, laugh at, it. I was like, there's a, a group of guys that at any point they say they want to work DOA. I will find them a spot, big, ugly, uh, Luther, um, playboy, buddy Rose. If he was still around guys that actually gave a shit about me, and helped me along not the guys that tried to push me down and or just never had the time of day for me never talked to me didn't give a shit about well good you're you've been gone for the business there's nothing you can do to help me and help my my crew because the vets that i use are all vets that are willing to give back they're all vets that want to help these guys and they all have their own unique ability to help these guys when you know quiz comes back i put them against more of the the modern indie wrestler guys so they can learn because quiz was doing the super indie style for the pacific northwest before anyone else was quiz santiago ethan guys like that and so i'll use ethan and quiz in those ways or hess now making a return and not many people got not many guys are the size and the strength and toughness of Hess and as good of a brawler. So, you know, to toughen up guys, I've got them working Hess and stuff like that. So I book these guys against vets that I know and what the vets will be able to bring out of these younger kids. And I base a lot of my bookings around that to make them the most well-rounded they can be. And as I tell them all to get the fuck out of here, get out of Pacific Northwest, travel around, become bigger and better because you're all always going to be stuck at a certain spot in pacific northwest and no matter how great we build this scene it's still just the pacific northwest get out there make your name everywhere so i don't know yeah, I'm, I, I'm really enjoying kind of cultivating and helping this area and as i i i look at it that you know guys like luther and ugly especially had no reason to take me under their wing and help me in any way like they did um yeah those and, guys are both cool as shit, man. So yeah. it's like, especially Luther in Portland wrestling. I was just a radio DJ who was an announcer that he wanted to make a manager. And he has helped me so much throughout all the years that I, and I look at him and how he helped me. And I will want to be like that for these kids. Cause a lot, we got so many good kids coming out. We've got Ricky Gibson school, the Oregon pro wrestling school in Portland. Oh yeah. 
which is fucking just turning out great, amazing students. We got the Bash Brothers students um, or Dragonplex up in uh, Washington, along with the Buddy Wayne Academy. And then you have the, uh, the Lionsgate Dojo up in Canada turning out complete studs. Like, I don't even get to book Canadians that much. My Canadians have almost become outsiders because we have so much great talent from just Oregon and Washington right now. Like I've got some different Canadians coming in here and there and stuff like that. Like Travis Williams will be coming back to DOA soon and stuff. And cool. I feel bad because there are so many amazing guys up there and I wish I could use them all the time. But as I tell them, I'm like, you guys are already to that, that prestige defy level. You're already getting those bookings. So I'm trying to use DOA as the place to get the kids to be at that prestige defy level. Like I want them to be able to take my spot so that, Make it so that these companies don't call me anymore for bookings. That that will make me happy. Like if they start calling me and going, "Hey, we want you to just uh, can you just come and run things behind the scenes?" I'm cool with that. I just did that for Kid Bandit uh, and a show she had, Pandemonium, a couple months ago, um, where it was like a forty thousand dollars show with huge stars, and she brought me in to run Gorilla and just run the show. So I, I'm cool with that. I feel I'm pretty good at it. Uh, you know, I'm pretty organized when it comes to that, that type of stuff. I've got a, a good mind for the business and what works. And, uh, I, I hope to do more and more of that as, as time goes on. So is kid bandit. SoCal? uh, yeah, she's based out of, uh, out of LA area. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know. You probably got this one before, but it's it's just, and it's a, a dumb question. But I'm I'm curious on it. Uh, like, is there going to be a time that you're going to take the boots and uh, I, leave I don't them? Know, I don't know if I'll ever leave the boots in the ring, but there will be a time next year where I'm. I'm not openly taking bookings. And if I do come back, it's that special appearance, special type story type thing. But yeah. there's going to be a point next year after I turn, I want to make it to 50. If I make it to 50, that's 20 years in the ring and 50 years old. And that's way more than I ever thought was even possible when I came into Portland wrestling as a morning radio DJ. And as an announcer who got to, do some ring announcing, a little bit of color commentary. And then they're like, hey, we're going to grapple to teach you uh, how to protect yourself because we want to put you in an angle. Okay. And from that point on, like, I count from when I actually started wrestling matches in the ring. It'll be 20 years. I'll be 50 years old. And it's time to back it off. I made the announcement at Prestige the beginning of the year that, uh, you know, this is my, oh, shit. my, fin my final tour. Um, and I promised basically to, uh, give them all my blood, sweat and tears and all my craziness, uh, there because prestige has given me probably my biggest platform, um, for wrestling so far, the biggest audience and the biggest opportunities. Uh, there's no one else has been willing to bring in a reality star for me to wrestle in a death match when they brought in danger Aaron from Jackass formula fight. So, Oh shit. How was that? That was amazing. Uh, it is up on IWTV. It is me and Danger Aaron, and Danger Aaron ends up uh, having some help from Akira, who I had worked in a death match the previous Roseland. Uh, but Akira got done with the match and looked at me. And he goes, that 
was the most sports entertainment deathmatch thing I've ever done. And I said, thank you very much. And everyone online put over Danger Aaron and put over his performance more than than Johnny Great. Knoxville's at, at WrestleMania. And I, I loved Knoxville with Sami Zayn. I thought it was amazing. Yep. But this came across much more realistic. And... <laughs> I, I there was a lot of hurdles to make it happen. Like we tried to meet up with uh, with Aaron the day before the show down at the school, and as Aaron's getting in the ring, he proceeds to let me know he has three uh, fused vertebrae on. He's had three fusion surgeries on his spine as he's getting in the ring, and I was like, I I was going to teach him how to roll and protect himself. Throw that all completely all the wood. I I can't teach this guy how to bump. I can't teach him how to ro- roll. How do I base a match around? And I managed to do it. I, I was like, well, naturally falling. How can you fall? And let's work around this. And we made it happen. People loved it. It was one of my biggest moments. I mean, I got to wrestle a member of fucking jackass. It was good. And it, yeah. it was, it felt good for me because, you know, all wrestlers have imposter syndrome. We all get it at times where we're out there and we're like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I, I get it all the time. And it was one of those, like, you say you're really good at storytelling. You say you could wrestle a fucking broomstick. Let's try to wrestle a broomstick <laughs> in front of a huge sold out 750, 800 people crowd, person crowd. And that I managed to pull it off with between me and Akira. And then I wrestled Akira one more match. I did a trilogy of matches with Akira at Prestige. That the first one was very Japanese style death match that we used the most class I think I've ever used in a match. It was a, a bloodbath. Uh, the second one was with Danger Aaron. And then the third one was a no rope uh, barbed wire, no padding. So it's just the boards and barbed wire for ropes around this ring. <laughs> Akira had just came back from England and had food poisoning. So when I get to the venue, Akira is already just laying on the stage of the Hawthorne Theater, um, just trying to keep everything down. Uh, oh, shit. I, I looked at him. I said, so what do you want to do? He goes, Let's just go work. And I said, that's cool with me. And so we ended up calling I would say at least 95% of that match in the ring and people still talk about the match and how much they liked it. And it kind of makes me laugh because everything is so choreographed now in wrestling that when you can pull off something that someone's like, that came across real. Yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> we're, we're a little bit shooting out there. We were taking care of each other, but like we were both, we were both taking when we wanted to take and stuff like that. And it's just, it's a different way of working and, and something people don't get to do very often. Um, recently I had booked Sonico versus Thatcher at DOA and that cool. became such a uh, amazing learning experience for Sonico because Thatcher is very old school as a heel that as a baby face, you are going to take what you have to take it. He's not going to randomly open himself up for the, the baby face to start firing back. No, if you want to fire back, you listen to the crowd and you start firing back when you feel it's the time and Thatcher's going to cut you back off. And like Sonico, you could tell Sonico was a little worried out. Like, do I just start punching him? Like, he's going to fucking kill me. Like, and like, it was a very much a learning experience, but there's different ways of doing wrestling. And I feel like people are leaning so much into everything being called in the back. I really love now when I get to, 
work with these kids that have only called stuff in the back and, and work with them in the ring to be able to call like a mix of both. And as I call it, like playing connect the dots, we're going to, we're going to come up with our moments. Fuck moves. It's all about the moments. A move can be a moment if it's built up correctly, but it's always moments over moves. And so we're going to come up with these moments during the match and then we're going to play connect the dots and we're just going to make our way. Like we might drive this way and then get to the spot or we might head this way and then get to the spot, whatever feels natural, whatever the crowd is right, like responding to and what they're giving to us, we will give back to them. And that's very much a lost art in modern wrestling that I try to teach everyone that I get to work with as much as possible. I try to do that with them. So. Cause you never know when, yeah it's going to need to happen or, you know, I, yeah, you, that, you get to that point. Yeah. If it, you're out it, there and don't, something's not hidden. Yeah. I, and some people just keep plowing through and they, I've seen some of the most amazing wrestlers in the world go out there and keep plowing through yep. for a crowd that just did not give a shit for what they were doing yep. instead of being able to call it and call an audible and stuff like that. And I don't know. It's just, Everyone has their way of doing doing things. I personally find that some of my best material ends up coming being during the improv of just working with someone. Like um, there's a really talented kid out here now uh, that goes by Thicky Ricky or Thick Rick Rodriguez. Um, he originally trained Buddy Wayne's, and then I think he was down at Flatbacks down in Florida training with um, Tyler Breeze and Sean Spears and stuff. But okay. he kid is built like an amazing body has these huge thighs and his whole gimmick is doing basically the old junkyard dog dance he puts his hands up and he does the, the oh, i want to see you do the junkyard dog uh, hold dance. on i gotta back it up i got headphones okay up. yeah yeah we got we gotta see derek do the junkyard dog dance and this is gonna be up on youtube now okay good thank you we needed that that's that's what everyone needed to see thank you for so, that so yes so thicky ricky does like this dance like that but at the same time i've now watched him squat three guys on like have three guys up on his uh on his shoulders and holy shit yeah yeah like it it's absolutely amazing some of these kids that are coming through and getting to work with them because he's one of those at some companies where he just he's also an ex-gymnast so he does all these crazy flip twisty amazing things um and he comes to DOA and it doesn't quite get over the same as it does. He's like, no, I actually have to work at it a little bit more and stuff. It's just, it's different types of storytelling. And I've gotten to work with him. Um, and the first time we worked, I said, uh, for the shine, just uh, keep trying to get me to do your, uh, to do your, your dance deal. And he's like, okay. So he's like, come on, Drexel, do the thicky. And I was like, um, Drexel, Drexel don't dance. Come on. I get up finally. And I'm like, and then I start doing pelvic thrust instead. And he's like, no, 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 not that. It's a family show. And he stops trying to stop my, and then starts doing with his knees again and stuff. And I'm like, uh, like this. And I start pelvic thrust. I'm like, do the dicky. And it's not like in the back. I was like, I'm going to do the dicky. No, it just right. randomly came out that I'm now doing the dicky instead of the thicky. And it just the best stuff sometimes just comes out in those in those moments. And that's my favorite parts of wrestling. And that's probably what someone's gonna go home with and uh moments over moves. Probably masturbate to uh, you know. They're like, Do you yeah. 
Go ahead. I, I did a death match with Big Ugly this weekend. Um, because oh, me, shit. Me and Ugly have never got to do a singles hardcore thing like that. I don't even know if we've ever done just a straight singles match before. But at some point in the match, Ugly had his ugly stick. Uh, he shoved my face against it. He came charging in. I moved. He ended up giving a Bronco Buster to his ugly stick in the barbed wire. It's a two by four wrapped in barbed wire for people that don't know. And so as he's selling his balls, I go over to my bag and I pull out a bottle of lemon juice. And I'm like, normally I wait until someone has fallen in thumbtacks, their back is all cut and I spray it all over their back. But for this match randomly, because Ugly's just done that. And the first thing I pull out is lemon juice. I grab Lug- Ugly's leg, lift it up, pull out the shorts, and just start sque- squeezing lemon juice down the bottom of his shorts into his balls that have just been pierced by the uh, the barbed wire. So one of the moments of the match that people are like, oh, I've never seen yeah. that before. I'm like, I've never done that before. Yeah. But it's one of those random things that popped in my head like, oh, my God, we can do this right now. This is amazing. So. Right. And yeah, that's what people are going home with. They're like, dude, you remember when fucking Derek fucking put uh, lemon juice in ugly balls? People never remember the things that actually hurt. People remember my absolutely outrageous things that I I build to and like and the crazy moments that happen and stuff like that. And that I keep trying to teach these kids like. It's moments over moves. Make them like an average person is going to remember five things from a wrestling show tops, right? Coming out of that show. Five's five high. I, I was going to say coming right out of the show. A okay. week later, we're back down to four. Two weeks later, we're down to three. Uh, you know, by the yeah. end, they've got one memory from that. By the time thing. they're back at the show, there there's one thing that they remembered <laughs> they, from they, the last show. One, you remember one that? Or two things. Yes. Yeah. And, and like they'll remember ongoing stories, but as far as like specific moments. But I tell yeah. people, I'm like, the reason Drexel got over is because I always tried to be one of those few moments from the show that no matter what it was, it was something that was so different or so out in left field and like something someone hadn't seen. Um, yeah. that would stick with them and i've that's how i i work as a character and and it's the my number one goal is always even when i'm doing the same things that i always do with the paper cuts and things like that of doing them in different ways and doing different things that gets in people's heads and like i'm really big i just want to be those moments i want to actually because that's where the emotional investment is and that's what's lost in wrestling right now I yep. like WWE is still doing Triple H is doing great with the the booking of emotional investment but AEW it kills me cuz they have such amazing talent. The matches themselves are great as far as an actual match. They're amazing matches, but I don't give a shit. And that's what kills me. He does not uh, Tony does not know how to book for emotional investment. He doesn't give stories enough time to settle he doesn't give a reason for people to want to wrestle each other and for the a reason for the fans to care that they're wrestling each other he just books dream matches that he sees off of twitter and granted he's booking all these dream matches but i feel like they've been thrown away so much because if they were booked in something that meant something the same way that like the one thing that's being booked long-term storytelling right now is edge and Christian. And you know, who's booking the edge and Christian uh, storyline, Adam Copeland versus Christian is being booked by Adam Copeland and Christian. And that's why. Right. Um, But that's the, like if they had a bunch of those story going, like he's, 
getting a little bit better, but still not enough. Uh, Triple H has become a master at that. And I feel like Triple H has already surpassed Vince for the fact that Triple H will give people more time. It almost feels like in the 80s, Vince gave more time to guys to be able to, the chance to get over. I feel like uh, Triple H has done that now and it's paying off with some of the talent that like a, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, LA Knight, for example. Bring him into NXT, still looks a little bit sloppy on his in-ring work, not the greatest, kind of gets over, but not really. Vince sees him, doesn't like it. They Vince repackages him to that uh, male model thing. It flops like a fucking fat chick's ass in fucking church. It's just horrible. And um, he gave him the chance to like come back and be LA Knight, but then gave him a chance to actually start resonating with the crowd. And now it's one of the most over gimmicks. And it's not like he's the greatest wrestler in the world. He's very basic. He's very just rudimentary um his timing's not the greatest like at least cena had amazing timing la Knight doesn't yeah. have that but he does have the charisma and the emotional connection with the crowd for the moment yeah and then a, a one-word catchphrase yeah. um yeah which yeah which is is awesome uh I, i've been thinking about all these like recently for some reason thinking about all these like one one word catchphrases like fuck dude just like these words are eventually gone, um, but like, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, but, but but the no, di- the only thing is, is you just change the inflection, you s- and change the way that word is said, and that word can totally come back again. Damn, could totally make a comeback when found the right way with the right voice to say it in another way. Uh, even if you say be- it like, like, yeah, like damn, yeah, you exactly. know, something like that. Yeah, it could end up being it. So everything is possible. It's just you know, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, and I was gonna say with your paper cuts. Back to the paper cuts, like, and that's something that. So, like, not everyone has been uh, super kicked in the face. Not everyone's been fucking um, thrown through a table. Thrown through a table. Some people have. Uh, not everyone in the crowd has been. But like a paper cut. Everyone's had a paper cut. Everyone knows what a paper cut feels like. And that is going to fucking like people are going to go fuck like that shit hurts like I, I feel I that watch the I watch the cringes I've seen people actually get uh, pass out from uh, the paper cuts um, at SOS wrestling up in Washington two shows in a row uh, EMTs had to treat people who passed out during my matches because they were too violent for them and they couldn't handle them and it's not like i'm going out there and these aren't blood baths it's not like i'm going out there and like there's blood squirting everywhere there's almost limited blood even me and ugly there was a limited amount of blood i took a lot of thumbtacks in the head which uh i'm sure you can see the track there's still a little something yeah um but there wasn't that much blood because i'm not out there cutting i'm not out there gigging it's not like that anymore all my blood and matches was all hard way but it's the the violence that I I come up with in the match and the realisticness of it that that's what the key is. It's stuff that yeah. people can relate to. The paper cuts of going between the fingers, and then I started doing the mouth, and then when I started doing the eye, I watched an entire front row just all just turn away and not even be able to look, and like turning a green color because just the thought of someone paper cutting your eye 
I've also had opponents like start squirming and trying to get the fuck away from me and like start legit fighting because out of fear as that paper is coming towards their eye and then uh, doing things like lemon juice or salt. And it's just those things that everyone knows that everyone that can relate to. Those are the things that really grab people. Um, And so those are the things that I I love doing because that's what's going to get you over more than me flipping around saves my body. It saves my best up neck. It saves a whole lot of, uh, I laugh and refer to myself as the, um, the hardcore version of uh boogie woogie man, uh, Jimmy Valiant. Cause I don't really bump. I just dance around <laughs> acting like an idiot doing my hardcore shit now, but great. There's a, there's a truth to it. And I I've made it work and, I've watched other people try to steal it from me, especially here in the area, and it doesn't get over the same way. It's some, it's something about my face when I become Drexel that people actually believe that I am truly the homicidal artist out there and that I could do all this stuff. So, and then it, I, in return, I've gotten like I wrestled Amira at the last Roseland, who's one of those standout students. Amira, I doubt we'll have her much longer. I think she's going to get signed up by someone. She's a Ricky Gibson student that jumped cool. in my, my car. Once she was uh, able to start taking bookings, she started jumping in my car from all over the Pacific Northwest, all the way down to mania last year. And I've just helped her every way I can. I booked her first match was against Sue young at the queen of thorns a couple, uh, two years ago. And then last year she won the queen of thorns. Um, but she's amazing. Awesome. She, uh, but I wrestled her at Roseland and she wrestled me in a death match. And a lot of people were like, why are you doing this? Like you're already over with the crowd and stuff. Um, and <laughs> the story was too good not to be told. Her very first wrestling show she ever went to live was Roseland one. Her very f- favorite match on that was me versus Steve West in a death match. And I was her favorite wrestler that night. So fast forward, we head into COVID. She starts training at Ricky Gibson school, uh, comes out of that and starts wrestling. And we've now built to this to Rosalind. I think it was seven was the, uh, the number. So it's Rosalind seven. She's now facing me in a death match. And so the story we told the entire shine was her doing everything that I did in Rosalind one to Steve West. She did it to me for the shine of that match. And it wasn't until I, I cut her off with a light tube and smashed her in the head with that and took it to another level and like started trying to carve her head with light tubes and got very, very violent. But we both walked away from that match even more over than before the match. Um, just because she earned a whole nother level of respect for how tough she was and that she earned my respect out there. And I, I could see the difference just from before to after, um, Jason Sullivan was watching from Paraguay and sent me a message and he goes, very rare. Can two people be so over and actually come out from a match even more over that you both did that. He's like, that was amazing. And uh, I, that one made me tear up that night. Like we had a standing ovation coming through the curtain. Everyone loved it, but that one made me tear up because I respect Sully so much and how much he helped me out. And his backing was the reason that I got my foot indoors and in several spots. So, yeah. Yeah. And now Sully is. He's uh, down in Paraguay. He started uh Mas Lucha Paraguay. I think it's called Mas Lucha Paraguay. He's got a school and he's running shows now. Shit, are you uh, in Asuncion. You gonna, gonna head go down, down there? there? 
I don't know. It's a really say hello. Trip. I mean, I yeah. I say hello online to them, but uh, that's I, a good way. It's yeah, a lot easier to I, say hello to you. I, it's a lot. Going it's to a lot cheaper. I know he can't <laughs> afford to bring me down, um, but right. if if I had the money at some point, I might go down there and maybe do a match or something like that at some point after I'm not wrestling on the regular up here. We'll see. You know, it's not yeah. unheard of, and I could definitely work around with whatever I need to work with. So. Cool. Well, uh, shit, man. Uh, so where, where are people going to find you in the world on the internet or in a back alley? Um, well, probably the internet. I try to stay out of back alleys as much as possible. Now I'm very much a homebody. Um, I don't like people. I, I actually hate uh general public. I hate, I go to concerts only because I love music and I love bands, but I hate fucking crowds. <clears throat> So when you approach me out in public, uh, fans, and I act kind of weird, and I'm like, "Oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, thank you," and I'm fighting my head's down and stuff like that. That's that's Derek. That's Derek. Derek doesn't want to be out in public. Derek, yeah, Drexel is very much more outrageous. But if you look up on any of my social media, it's all under the Devil Drexel. It's all the same everywhere, and you can find me and where I'm gonna be. Uh, a lot of Pacific Northwest dates coming up. I've got a couple POW shows over the next two weekends. I know I'm making a trip back to Michigan to uh, deal with some family shit. What else do I got going on? How are the uh, POW ones going? Uh, POW's going really well. They It's a smaller venue, this pizza place, but they just about sell it out every single time. And uh, it's uh, it's very Memphis wrestling. It's a little bit more cartoony than, uh, than DOA. I think DOA being in Portland gets to be a more broader spec of the circus where we have a little bit of everything from the lion tamers to the monkeys, to the clowns, to the acrobats. So we've got everything where they have to stay a little bit more gimmick and uh, gimmicky out there uh, for that fan base. But it's one of those things that these are things that these companies need to learn and need to learn what, what their, their area wants for wrestling and then being able to gear to it because wrestling is for everyone and wrestling needs to be for everyone. And that means you need to be able to provide different. It's not about what you, one particular style you like or one particular style that this person on the internet is always fucking saying that this is what you have to do. This is who you have to book. It's about fucking booking for everyone. It's about booking entertainment and stuff like that. So I try to do that with DOA where, you know, one month I will have a crazy flamboyant Jay Vidal where the previous month I have Timothy Thatcher coming out there uh, being the most serious person in the entire world. So I like to get a little bit of everyone, a little bit of everything and a little bit of fun. And, you know, it's just wrestling should be for everyone. Um, becoming a wrestler, the opportunity should be for everyone, but being a wrestler is not for everyone. I know that's it's a hard truth to swallow, and I'll probably get some hate for saying it. I've nope, that's time. the best way to say it. Like it, it, the opportunity to try to be a wrestler should be open for anyone. Anyone should be able to go and try the like have the opportunity to train and attempt to be a wrestler, yep. but not everyone can be a wrestler is what it comes down to it right. is a it's a That's very fair. very set a very special set of skills that's it's not just one set of skills it's like three different set of skills because you have to have the outgoing ability to perform like you are a theater major that's up on a broadway stage 
but then at the exact same time, that theater major has to be able and tough enough to suddenly get punched in the face because when you're doing stage combat, there's a much bigger gap than when you're in the wrestling ring and nothing uh, throws you off your planned, uh, your planned things coming up, like getting suddenly punched in the nose and you can't like, you can't breathe and you can't like quite see. And then you got to throw the, the athletic ability now for pro wrestling, because it's on such a high level now for the athletic ability that most of these guys do that I, it you can't just it we're back in the day it was like yeah we'll get ex-football players and things like you can't do that anymore you can't just pull ex-mma guys because most of them can't perform and they don't understand theater like it's just it's so weird the mix of different things that you have to be good at um to even attempt to become a decent wrestler that's booked all the time like you might you can get through the school. You might have your one little company that books you once a month and you could do that. And it's a hobby and that's all good and, and good for you that you got to make your dreams come true, but to actually do it at any kind of level, make enough money to pay bills and stuff like that. You have to find ways to get over in all these different avenues. Yeah. Like, I, and I'm all the kids I help. I'm very open about the fact that I've had a shit body my entire career. And that's probably one of the things like, Starting off early on, I was only five foot 11, which meant I was way too small years ago. And then throw on that I've never had a great genetics, never had a great body, even when I've put in so much time and diet and exercise and stuff like that. My body's only looked so good. Um, and, you know, I overcame that and the fact that I was nowhere near as athletic or had the ability that a lot of the other guys did i had to overcome with my character and my storytelling and stuff and so i i i feel like i end up helping a lot more wrestlers now than i did back in the day where back in the day we had way more athletes that were coming in where now it's a lot more of the theater type people and i yeah it's a lot people that i can relate to that way and I like not being an official trainer and just being more of a mentor because guys like Ricky Gibson, he, I never get the ones that have never gotten out of being able to do the basics and stuff. By the time I start working with these kids, they've gotten through the school and now they're just looking for knowledge. And the ones that want to put in the time and effort, I will give them all my time and all of my effort. And that's what I've kind of looked at doing and, and helping to, uh, just get them farther along than I ever got because we didn't have those opportunities 16, 17, 18 years ago. So, yeah. And fuck dude, that's the way to do it, man. You gotta leave it, leave the fucking uh, forest nicer than you fucking found it, man. I can honestly say the Pacific Northwest is already much, much nicer than when I first started. When I first started, we had Portland wrestling, which was the only thing drawing. It was drawing maybe 250, 300. It was on Comcast cable at that point. And that was the only company that was drawing anything more than 50 to 100 people tops. And for a long time, we were happy with 50 to 100 people. So now to actually see a thriving scene, uh, see people who are just all about like, not i don't want to i'm sure this will be taken the, the wrong way but you had your old school wrestling fans um that were they were what they were when, you know who when, they were and they were when, what they were when we would raise the prices by five dollars it was like the end of the world you hear um, about it all year 
Yes, exactly. So um, to the modern, different fan base now that's much more on the artistic hipster side fan base who loves the entertainment side of it, loves the whole mix of all the genres together and falls in love with the stories, the action, falls in love with the characters and stuff like that. And they're willing to pay that extra for good entertainment. And then on the uh, other end, they're willing to buy merch. They love supporting fucking, it's, it's awesome. The fan base that we started building here in the Pacific Northwest, like I don't work for Defy anymore, but that was the original catalyst that started to open the door. And then from Defy, you get Prestige, which opened the door to more of these people that weren't quite into like the more closet wrestling fan. They were cool, but they weren't about to go to shows and stuff like that. And it became a cool thing for they to, them to go to. And then now I see them all bring their friends. Um, my wife, who <laughs> people laugh. I still make my wife pay for tickets for DOA. I, I run the company. She still buys her own ticket. But she brought in a couple of her friends from work who are younger in their 20s, hairstylists and stuff. They're like, we want to come to a show. They right. came to a show, and now it is their favorite thing. And every month, they fill up part of a front row, and they are the most loud, obnoxious fans that we have. And they think pro wrestling is the greatest thing in the entire world. They don't really give a shit about WWE or AEW, but as don't far as well, nope, as far as local wrestling, they think this is the most amazing thing ever. And we've got a lot of fans like that, and I absolutely love it. And then seeing like the DOA fans, there are so many like little girls come to pro wrestling now where like you would never, ever, ever see. There'd be one. There would be one. There would be one at the show. That was forced to by her family because her brothers wanted to go and stuff. Yep. Now now we've got Rebel Kell as our grand champion and there will be 20 little girls all lined up, all getting autographed pictures. It's so awesome seeing it, like being there for everyone. Um, DOA actually just got this message um, from the, uh, let me see if I can kind of bring it up here real quick. Uh, we got this uh, email message from uh, a family that came out to the show on uh, Sunday. And it's one of those that actually kind of made me tear up, which is hard to do. I just, it felt like what all the effort and all the shit that I do uh, means something. And basically it says, just to come on, open back up. All right. Just had to take a moment and thank you all for the enjoy and entertainment your company brings. My oldest son is 21, a young man on the autism spectrum. My middle son is a typical 15 year old teenager. And my youngest daughter is eight years old. It's not often we can find something that engages all three. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We have been to three different shows, all fun, breathtaking, exciting, dramatic. It's incredible. But the smile Mickey Mantoya, uh, Mantoya put on my oldest uh, my oldest's face tonight was priceless. His autism makes him very serious. So seeing him laugh is out of the world. Watching him engage and root for the wrestlers. It's all we could ask for as parents. Amira brings the strong female taking what she can dish out lessons for my daughter sledgehammer, a great role model that shows my middle son to chase his dreams, no matter his size. I love the diversity in the wrestlers, young, old, male, female, thick, thin, everyone is included. Thank you. I hope you guys, uh, I hope to see you guys guys at many more events and stuff like that and i ended up sharing it with the locker room and stuff like that but i i'm like this is what our silly wrestling does for some of these families that they have no other op, no other 
place that they can do something like that with an entire family. And uh, it makes yeah. me really proud to be able to do that. So, And I mean, even when I was going fucking back in 1937, uh, I mean, it was like, I, because I'd go with, with Gareth every fucking show. We'd go and like, you know, we, we got became friends because we yeah. watching wrestling at the bar and then yeah, I got to a point. I just didn't care about anything but what was going on in DOA. And then that was what it was. And I was like, this is fucking. It's I didn't I didn't know. That, you know, wrestling was like that. And, you know. You fucking you find it, dude. And like. You I mean, fucking you hit that fucking wrestling clip. And it's, it's, uh, it's part yeah. of the beauty of the American style of wrestling. It's the giant morality play. Everything we do in America is based off of giant morality play, either one of judgment in our own heads or the judgment that the government or religion or whatever. Everything's a goddamn morality play play of good versus evil. That is how we are are wired and how we think on everything. So to be able to just take that basic structure of a morality play and play with it and play with it in different ways um, and and not in like people if people want really depressing shit. They go and watch the news because the news is all about the news is selling fear right now. And that's what the whole news business is about. So yes, you have to change the booking that we're not doing the, you know, the, the evil uh, foreign person, blah, blah, blah. You're not doing any of that bullshit. Those, those type of storylines anymore in wrestling. And I mean, all the time. Yeah, they, they've they've the become yeah. they've be yeah they've become cheap and no one wants that stuff and people right. want more believability and it, so last year what ended up being the feud of the year for DOA and I I absolutely love this oh, uh, yeah. Jaden came up with the idea um it was going to be over a Pokemon card Jaden was going to have his Pokemon cards uh Radford was going to take one of them and fucking take it from him and that was the whole feud was over it. And watching everyone get into it, watching little kids show up with like stacks of Pokemon cards, trying to give them to Jaden, like, here's some of my extras, you know, blah, 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 was amazing. And and it was an entire feud. The feud of the year was over a fucking Pokemon card. And I I remember one of the vets (laughs) looks at me as the feud starts and he goes, you're seriously. And I said, you want something believable in a goddamn wrestling locker room nowadays? And he goes, point taken. And I, I'm at some point, um, I am, as soon as someone has, uh, tells me, as soon as I hear someone in the locker room goes, yeah, my, my, my PS5 broke, blah, blah, blah. I, got, I went to go get a new one. I'm going to go, you are going to bring that broken one. And we are going to do a scene where people are playing on the PS5. A wrestler comes back all pissed off. He slams something. It breaks the PS5. Now you guys are going to feud over a goddamn broken video game thing. Because that's more realistic to happen than any of the shit that back in the day in a wrestling locker room. So. Yeah, I like I love thinking outside of the box of of things like that. But then at the same time, um, Wade Hess right now in DOA is just a steamroller and is doing straight 1970s, 1980s Stan Hansen style heel. Like there is nothing to like about Wade Hess right now. Now, if I had an entire heel roster of that, I'm going to turn people off. But when you've got one 
and he's yep. standing out as that one old fucking asshole that you're like, no, I think he believes everything that he's saying. Um, and he's coming for your female champion. That that's intriguing. That that's things that you want to see and see what yeah. happens out of it. So, yeah, that's I, fucking cool, man. It's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Like, I, I was. I think. Uh, I think it was Doc that told me about the uh, the Pokemon card feud, and I, I was talking to this guy uh, at the gym, and well, okay. Let me back. He was the lifeguard for the like hot tub thing, and okay. I was talking to him, and he was into. Uh, what are talking about? Uh, he's like, oh, I'm really into anime and shit, and I'm like, dude, this fucking wrestling company man, like, just did a whole feud. Like the whole thing was over a Pokemon card, and uh, uh, he he was into it, man. Like and like. I don't know shit about Pokemon, but dude, that's like that's Neither cool shit, man. Like I, I love that something like that can be a feud I, of the year, and, and good for fucking Jaden and Nick, man. That's fucking good when, on them, dude, for coming up with some when thing I started to me working that's with, like dumb as fuck, but I, like fuck yes. Um, when Wrestling. I started working with uh, Kid Bandit, uh, the very first match I had with her was like her second, first or second month wrestling. Um, after uh, leaving Which Nightmare Academy. Wild. Yes. And, and so that night I gave her a bunch of like basic things and stuff like that. And I told her because at that point, uh, the SoCal wrestlers around her were telling her to be way more normal and all this. I said, no. I said, you lean into your anime. You lean into all this weirdness. Yep. And so we've worked so many times over the years. I gave her her first death match and stuff. And then she ended up getting a match of the year for a death match she over, did over in England. And oh, in, shit. for that match, she ended up borrowing a whole bunch of stuff we did in my match. She hits me up. She's like, I was thinking about, like, I wanted to do the paper cuts, but I'm going to do them with Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And we were going to set up to it like this. And I said, exactly. I said, I told you there's nothing about uh, original in wrestling. It's how you do your setup and stuff. And if you've got a way to introduce UGO cards into this match, and then you end up using them to paper cut, awesome. The same way that when I went and wrestled at a baseball stadium, I walked over to the merchandise thing and bought a pack of their baseball cards just so I could use that for slicing people up in the, in the ring and stuff. And, and she ended up yeah. taking a few of those different things, and it was all based off of our match that we had where we had a match that ended up going viral where we had over a million views for a couple of different spots. One of them I called Indiana Jones. She had two uh, uh, kendo sticks by swinging them like all crazy. Oh, yeah. She hits the pose and I just throw the chair and it just nails her. That was um, fucking wild. <laughs> See that shit, man. I was like, okay. I was all like, right. do you trust me? She's like, yeah. yes, because we had worked a few times. And I said, yeah. just turn your head like this and just trust me. And she's like, okay. And then um, the Keyblade that I had wrapped in barbed wire, um, we ended up having uh, articles in nine different languages written about us and about that match and stuff. Whoa. And so, like, she took that and then incorporated them all in this English death match and ends up getting a match of the year out of that. And she had hit me up asking, like, is this okay? I was like, yes, you learned it from me. Now you take it and spread it out. And, like, I love being that catalyst and – I had told her, um, I, I uh, she's watching she, you. <laughs> yeah. I, I had told her she's trying to, with her company, she was trying to get some of her friends over the same way. And I'm like, 
it's it's not the same. You've got a special charisma and a special uh, ability to connect with an audience that not everyone has. After and a month. I, yeah, exactly. After a month, exactly. And uh, I said, where your friends are going to have to work a lot harder and do a lot of other things. I And she's like, no, but if I just do this and this for them, they'll get it. I said, it's not the same. I said, prime example, our match. And she goes, yeah. I said, nine different languages match about it. I, and it's just like, yeah. I said, you got a bunch of uh, international bookings all throughout Europe because of that match. She goes, yeah. I said, I didn't. She's like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. It's like, no, it's fine. And I was like, she's like, but you're the one that came up with the match. And I said, I know, but I was highlighting you because you were the special talent. And I was like, your friends, if they work hard enough, they will be able to make it and you're going to be able to help them in the long run. But as far as like a set way, there is no set way to make it in pro wrestling. Everyone's journey is completely different. And just being able to find those mentors that help you along in that journey. I'm happy that I've become one of those mentors and I strive to be as good as possible as one of those types of mentors in this business. I, I think it's, you're seeing some, you're seeing more right now, seeing guys like Chris hero that are helping so much over at West coast and now working at AEW behind the scenes and, and guys like Luther who is on AEW but also works behind the scenes as an agent and stuff. And I, I really like being able to do that for people and help people along the way. So. You helped me out a lot, man. And uh, I fucking appreciate that, man. You fucking gave me opportunities, took me fucking on the road and, um, yeah, man, I fucking, I, I appreciate it. I, I learned a lot and, you know, uh, yeah, just like fi- figuring out what the fuck. And one thing that like, that you said that's like stuck in my head. And I tell people this too now is the, uh, when you know what your character is, when you know who you are, the part with the uh, when you go into McDonald's and they fuck up your order, how do you react? And when you know that, then you're fucking. Yeah, because you're no longer playing a character. You are that character. That's the key. You have to know you have to be able to fall into that character and how they'd respond to the most mundane things. Because once that happens, whatever happens, in the ring, that's easy to respond to in that character. And you're never out of the moment. It, 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 yeah. it's very much like an acting thing it's an acting trick of being able to fall into a character but when you are playing those characters if you are playing a very much a, a i i just said it this weekend not everyone can be nick wayne or titus alexander and be these amazing just super athletes that stand out strictly on what they do in the ring Right. A lot of us aren't those kind of athletes. So now we have to go on that other side. And uh, and I love being able to teach that character work and being able to believe a character. The same way that I, I teach people, like, I don't care how ridiculous something in wrestling could be. As long as you can follow it around or follow it up with something that's realistically violent and people believe that there's violence involved in it um and it, that it's real then they can they can fall in love with it and they'll believe it like orange uh orange cassidy that gimmick if he wasn't so good in the ring for when he turns it on and like yep. so smooth around the ring the gimmick would never get over 
because it would just be this idiot that just kind of got beat down and like his comeback wouldn't mean the same, but because he's able to move so smooth, almost like a super, like a fucking cat in the ring, the way he hops around that fucking, yeah. and it, the, the gimmick almost reminds me of a cat because he's so aloof and does not care about shit. And then if you try to get a hold of him, he is going to fucking scurry around this room and you're never going to be able to catch him. But it's that counterbalance that when he does, even the orange punch looks like he's really getting guys good with it. Like everything he does looks realistic. And I tell, try to teach people like I play with my fucking nipples out there and I'll do titty twisters and shit like that. People yes, know what titty twister feels like. That They know what it feels like, but they know it's not going to really hurt someone. But when I can start with that, but then on the other end, my punches or everything else looks like I'm really killing people. They, yeah. they, they believe it all and they can, they can fall. They can not be taken out of the moment. And too many people take themselves out of the moment of too much comedy or when they go to turn it off the comedy, their, their stuff just looks bad. And then the whole match just is bad comedy. And there's, and there's no worse wrestling than just bad comical wrestling where there's nothing to it. Like if they can't wrestle and it's just two guys joking around, it almost becomes a mockery of wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It, it becomes a, a spoof. Yeah. It yeah. becomes just a, a spoof and you know, that's not what you want on your show. I remember doing these shows down in Florida where uh, the promoter would basically get paid to put whoever on the show. And they had these two managers in the ring and you could tell neither one has been trained to do anything. And they are like basically pulling each other's hair, rolling around and not in a, okay, ECW cat fight. Like they're both fully extended rolling around and stuff. No, these guys are both like in balls trying to pull each other's hair and stuff. Oh shit. shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, me and my uh, Jesse Neal, my tag partner at the time, are sitting there at our merch table, and we're like, "Oh my God, Jesus Christ, what the?" And he's like, "You shut the fuck up." He's like, "Those guys signed over their uh, their uh, tax returns checks to get this match," and I'm like, "Is they're paying your your wages?" And we're like, "It is what it is." But yeah, I I could never do that. But I have been shows that have done things like that. That yeah. Or I've seen just matches that are just like two people that shouldn't be in the ring. Like maybe they're two students from two different schools and they go to the smaller company and that booker doesn't understand booking and he puts them together in the ring. And I'm just like, no, I I've, I've become the very vocal guy that starts like making comments about stuff. Like you don't want to do this. And I thought that would get me fired from more places, but I, they still keep bringing me back. So, <laughs> I mean, that's an important thing. Like, yeah, like you want someone like, yeah, yeah it's but, been around but, for a long time to, but most you know, people that are running companies don't do, do that. Most people running companies want to play in their toy box. And when you shit on yeah. their parade, on why they're playing with their toys the wrong way. I mean, because essentially that's what I'm doing. I'm telling them they're playing there with their toys the wrong way. And and they don't understand it. And I'm like, well, you're not a worker, but I just know that they're the drizzling shits and they're the drizzling shits. And if you put them with someone that's actually good, they could possibly get them through a match. But if you put them out together, you're going to end up with deer and headlights at some point in there. And it's not going to be good for your entire company. But yep. not everyone listens. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, now that, uh, yeah. So you did, people did listen, they're here. So, uh, 
we said where you can find you because yeah, I was gonna wrap it up a while ago, but then I fucking. But then uh, I start rambling. I'm a bit but rambling. yeah, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's great, man. Because then I get to sit here and I just get to be like, oh man, this is this is the way to do. It. I can I can let Derek fucking talk. Um, hey, there's your goal. Just start only interviewing ex radio guys because just naturally right. we will just start rambling for no apparent reason. <laughs> So you were on the, was it the morning zoo? Was that what you were uh, on? It was or the was Buckhead, it some, uh, Buckhead show. On Z1 the Buckhead number. show. Okay. That so was, was that after one. the, or was that like a different time of the day or what was No, that, that was after the morning zoo. We replaced, I think the previous morning zoo. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then. I think there was 2004, 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. It was a two year span in there. I think I started in the fall and lasted for two years and then when my contract was up uh i left quietly uh because i did not want to be there anymore <laughs> yeah and i mean now yeah that now it's like now there's no money in radio um i have one friend left in radio i think one or i actually i can't say that i have a couple friends left in radio but most people don't make the living that like if they did radio in the nineties, they've just retired and found something else to do, or they're doing podcasts and, and doing well with selling advertising basically and shit, because it's a dead, uh, it's a dead, dead job. I mean, there's just no money to be made in it anymore. Unfortunately kind of sucks, but I yeah. saw it coming. I watched the, the corporate, uh, companies do the total opposite of what they should have been doing. And, uh, and we got what we got. Yeah, things evolve, and you know, you know, podcasts and. Well, I remember as as people started getting um, uh, iPods and just mobile music things, and podcasts became a thing and stuff like that. What radio did was they became even more generic than they already were. They went even more syndicated. So you just had some guys in Arizona doing the morning show for like 30 different cities across the country. And that's what the opposite. So you're now just giving them a bad version of what they're already carrying around in their pocket that they can program to exactly what they want. Like as far as podcasts, whatever they want to talk about, or instead of gearing your show to your, your city, that's my very first morning show I ever did. Um, starting in like 95 or six, I started there was the Drew and Mike show in Detroit at Riff. It was a staple for 30 something years, number one show and stuff. But Drew, that was his big thing. Um, because we competed with Stern, Bonaducci, um, um uh ted nugent like all these major celebrity names came into detroit and we beat them all and because the way we beat them all is being all about detroit and so as i pushed that even when i came out here to portland i was pushing like portland is a weird fucking very interesting place like we can base the show around portland and the entire time they would want me to make it more generic and more for anyone to listen to and more for our PD who's from LA who doesn't understand Portland. Like this, this same guy who took six times to pass the driver's test. Like he couldn't get his license because he couldn't pass the driver's, the written test. Cause they have the, 
the weirdly written questions like they kind of double speak on some of them and yeah. he couldn't he could never get them right so this is the man that can't even get his driver's license here but he's telling me that our show is just too weird and shit and i would watch our ratings just die off the more that i would change for what he wanted as like no, we got to have bucked up calls on the 30s. So every 30 minutes, you're going to do one of your phony phone calls. And I was like, so we're just going to keep burning out our, our stuff instead of using it when it's actually appropriate. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I want people to listen to radio more than 15 minutes. Yeah, but most people are only going to listen to 15 minutes. Not if it's done right. And right. I don't know. Yeah. They corporates wanted the opposite i didn't agree and then money just stopped being a thing so i'm glad i got out when i did and i got much better at doing graphic design and, and being an artist and titty twisters and, and titty twisters yeah and being a believable monster in a pro wrestling ring that people think is really crazy but, yeah you know the crazy person is running the circus behind the scenes <laughs> right man um yeah so dude Thank you for doing this, and uh, yeah, great talking with you. And no problem. Sorry to go for two hours. I was like, yeah, no, I can dude. do an hour. Um, yeah, no. I need to look at my no. phone because I'm sure my wife has left me a bunch of messages. Because before coming up here, I was like, yeah, send me like a coffee list and stuff like that, and I'll get over to the coffee store for you. And she, my dog came up at one point and looked at me, and then he wandered off. So yeah, I know that everyone probably hates me now after two hours of talking up here. Yeah, well, my cat's fucking wandered off, so I don't know what the fuck. So, yeah, whatever, dude. Thank you for doing it, man. And, uh, no yeah, problem, I'm man. glad we got to talk. And uh, I'll, I'll randomly see you somewhere, man. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. I'll talk All to right. you later. Have a good Sounds one. Sounds good, buddy. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. That's uh, Eric Drexel, man. So check him out. That's, uh, yeah, one of them. I don't know. I guess he's the guy who trained me. I got trained by it, it, it's him, fucking him, Doc, Cleaver, and Quiz. Those three. So somewhere between those three. But um, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you're here still, appreciate it on the Rest of Diamond Podcast Network. And that is the show, man. Right? That's the show, man. Um, you know, it's the show. It's the show. Boom. It's the show, man. Boom. <laughs>